Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhino Egberto Willis, Marlon Weems, aka the Journeyman, a man who spent 30 years in finance, 10 of them where on Wall Street, here on Politics Done Right. Yeah. Global <laughs> investment banks subsequently hired him to help them decipher development in the financial and social economic landscape. Marlon points out that mainstream news rarely drills down enough to give a true picture of what's happening, let alone what it all means. And henceforth, the writer, he created The Journeyman. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Marlon Wimps. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me, Egberto. Well, let me tell you, I met you in Woke, um, uh, writers and editors of color, and I could not have been more happy to find someone of your caliber there. I read some of your work at the Journeyman on, that you carry on Substack and on, on Medium. And all I can tell you is we need to get your work out, especially <laughs> since you, are, uh, you were in the belly of what capitalism is all about. And while you're probably not as like I am, you've been... <laughs> You know exactly what's going on in America. Welcome to Politics and Right. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, as you said, um, I um, spent 30 years uh, in, in finance. I started out actually in the Deep South uh, in Arkansas, which is home, and um, um, worked at one of the largest investment banks off Wall Street for about 10 years. And then uh, left there and started my own firm, which uh, was the first Black-owned investment firm in Arkansas. Uh, and you know that's probably a subject for another <laughs> for another interview because, uh, as you can imagine, um, I was not welcomed with open arms. But uh, five years later, uh, I shut the business down and took the opportunity to to move to Wall Street and uh, spent the next 13 years there, um, uh, ultimately running a program trading desk for one of the premier Black-owned firms uh, in New York. And um, as, you, as you put it, I was uh, definitely in the belly of the beast, uh, certainly not at the, um, uh, the highest level in that I wasn't at a Goldman or uh, JP Morgan, but um, to some extent, if you're in that game, you're in the game regardless. And uh, I did business with a lot of the uh, familiar names and everything from uh, program trading to running um, uh, share repurchase programs for guys like Walmart and Microsoft and, and the like. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I liken it to when uh, you you have a guy in the NFL, a running back, and that's in a sense where uh, the name of my newsletter, The Journeyman, comes from. And you know, in that I had been one of those uh, you know one of those players that had uh, had been in a lot of aspects, but never quite the Tom Brady, but still uh, in you know in the game. Uh, Consequential, someone... exactly. And so um you know wall street made the decision for a lot of us during the financial crisis and at that point uh, i had started to have some um uh, you know just reconsideration about my career and the value of uh, uh being on a trading desk all day and you know their lifestyle or not lifestyle but quality 
of life uh, considerations. You know, I never saw my kids. And so we decided to move to North Carolina and just kind of reboot. And uh, that's where I started uh, my writing career as a consultant for a, uh, a capital markets firm that uh, did work for, you know, the big bulge bracket firms, uh, you know, messaging and that sort of thing. And, uh, it, you know, it, it paid well, um, but, you know, the life of a freelancer, as you probably know, you're always waiting to get paid. And so I felt like to an extent, I was trading one master for another. And, um, you know, post 2016, uh, I think my family got tired of me uh, shouting at the television <laughs> all the time. And they were like, you know, why don't you write some of this stuff down that you're saying? And so uh, a couple of years ago, I started a newsletter and, and here we are. Well, you know, and, and, and America is glad to have a newsletter of, of your caliber, my friend, because like I, like I said, there are so many good writers out there that uh, whose messages get, uh, get clouded or, or, or get clouded out by what we have coming out only in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the, the, the Post or whatever, good writing people that understand exactly what's going on in our society, people that live within the different parts of our society that simply go unheard. One of the things that we like to do here is to make sure uh, to keep our motto going, and that is absolutely everybody has a voice, and your voice is one that needs to be heard. I've, I've read some of your stuff. I've noticed that you've You've talked a lot about, or, or recently, about inflation and um, and and how it really affects differently different people. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because what happens in is we hear the buzzwords, but we don't really tell the whole story. Well, a couple of things. I mean, I started in uh, in finance in nineteen eighty three. So, uh, you know, my, um, I don't quite have the visceral response to what's going on now, given that when I started, uh, I remember one of my aunts was buying CDs at 13.5%. So, um, you know, with interest rates really just being, you know, at zero, um, if they go, uh, you know, if, if mortgage rates go up, you know, it's, it seems to me to be kind of an adjustment uh, to the mean to some extent. Um, but at the same time, uh, let's face it, uh, $4 um, a gallon gasoline affects me and you and people that aren't even as fortunate as you and I. A uh, hell of a lot more than it's going to affect Elon Musk, right? He's probably not even going to notice. So um, I think uh, you know, that's certainly something that I think about, um, notwithstanding the fact that there's very little a president can do about it, uh, because these are unregulated markets. Um, I, uh, I have read, and, and it's something I've thought about uh, drilling into a little bit, uh, you know, you look at Saudi Arabia and OPEC, and they're really keeping these prices uh, high. And, you know, there's some people that say it's in anticipation of uh, them losing market share as uh, electric vehicles become more prevalent. So, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly something to think about. Um, uh, you know, so, so um, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, no, but I, actually, I, you I brought up a, an important point that mm -hmm. I want you, uh, that I'd like, like some, uh, some, some additional info on, because what I've been preaching, and I don't, uh, recently is that 
First of all, inflation can only occur if uh, somebody has price and power. And there are some people who will never have price and power. And there are those who Absolutely. will have price and power. And you just gave a, a, an excellent example as far as uh, Saudi Arabia. Inflation occurs when there are shortages of either labor, shortages of products, sharp mm -hmm. shortages of services. And the truth is, when it comes to petroleum, there's none of that. Uh, it's a false shortage. Well, you, they're creating it. Right. By, by well, explain supply. that concept, because uh, if we were a true market, I always talk about the mythical market. If we were a true market, <laughs> that couldn't happen, could it? Well, you know, theoretically, uh, no, because, uh, you know, markets would just, uh, the supply would find a demand and it would be sort of a natural thing. Uh, as, as you said, um, what the Saudi Arabians and, and OPEC, you know, sort of writ large are doing is they're controlling the supply to make the prices, um, uh, you know, sort of making prices high, um, you know, not uh, in a natural way. Uh, and, and it's not just them, because if you look um, at a variety of different companies, so, you know, you see uh, Chipotle and different ones raising their prices, they don't have to raise prices, but they see the opportunity to do that. And that's, you know, back to what you say about capitalism and why uh, I consider myself, let's say, a reform capitalist uh, in the sense that I can remember the day when I would be saying that that's a good thing. But now that I've stepped away from that bubble and you see how it affects, you know, just real life, um, you know, not so much. So um, a lot of these prices that we're seeing on beef and my brother actually called me yesterday. Uh, we were talking on the phone and he went. He was on his way to get a Subway sandwich. And, and he calls me by five minutes later. And he says, man, I just walked out of Subway. And I'm like, well, what I'm thinking, you know, a fight broke out or something like that. He said, man, they tried to charge me $15 for some sort of beef sandwich, you know, barbecue something. $15 for a Subway sandwich? I said, heck, man, you could go buy a steak, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, it, it is. A, let's, let me tell you more. It, it, it's amazing because I, I tell you something that everybody should be cognizant of. You, you remember this thing called the dollar store, right? Oh. Well, the dollar yes, store do. decided that, uh, well, a dollar is too, too little now. And we are going to, and, and right. they claim that they're losing, uh, losing by having the dollar store. So they said their prices is going to range on their way to $1.25. You would think if it were that. <laughs> if it were on par, that the stock maybe gained a little bit for whatever little losses they had, which wasn't really much. You know, the pandemic was really causal, but the stock soared because they knew at one twenty-five oh, yeah. they were suckering the people who were used to a. They were they were you know what they don't tell you is going from one dollar to one twenty-five is a twenty-five percent inflation rate in that store. <laughs> Look, it's, um, you, you know, you see it everywhere. And this is, I guess, sort of the, um, the, the, I hesitate to use this, but it's sort of the rigged game of capitalism. Stop, you please know? stop. It, please stop, sir. Please stop. I know you're a capitalist, sir, but you are absolutely right. So please repeat those <laughs> words again, please. No, it, I mean, it is, it is a rigged game in the sense that um, the, it's not always causality why some things happen. And so uh, just because 
the price of a Subway sandwich is $15, it's more because Subway has that pricing power and they know the market will, will withstand it. Uh, it's more related to that than it is that their costs went up incrementally and that's what they have to charge. So, you know, we should just know that. And, and of course, as, as citizens, our choice is like my brother to just walk out of Subway. We don't have to have that sandwich. And, you know, theoretically that demand goes down and they come to their senses and maybe it's a $14 sandwich instead of, <laughs> instead of a $15 sandwich. Right. Yes, sir. I, I tell you what, though, um, I, 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 you just gave me the, the segue into saying, and that is where I think the capitalist market should be bifurcated from the social market. And what I mean by that is you just said something yeah. that is extraordinarily smart, right? That is, well, uh, we believe in, if we believe in a market system, like your brother walked out of the store when something costs $15, that would, that would necessitate them reducing their price if they ever want to sell it again. But if your brother broke his leg and the hospital told him they wanted to charge him whatever they could get out of him, he had no choice then. And that, that right. should be where we separate the social markets, the, the social aspect of our economy, in my opinion, at least, from the capitalist portion of our market. Your thoughts on that? Um, well... So, so I've been at um, this long enough that I recall when uh, the first, in fact, the first job I had was at a, um, a little investment firm that only sold mortgage-backed securities. Oh, if boy. you're familiar, you, yes, you know, the, the default story, swaps, right? I mean, et cetera, yeah. Uh, well, even, even more uh, primary than that, because we're talking early 80s, so early they 80s, really gotcha. had just, yeah, they had really just sort of come along. There weren't that many people in the marketplace, which was there. Uh, again, you talked about pricing power. Um, we knew that investors had no idea what these things were worth. So if you own them, you said what they were worth and either people paid that or they, you know, there was no trade. And so um, all that to say, um, what we've done um, is we have financialized so many, <clears throat> pardon me, so many things that, that really should be, I guess, utilities. Exactly. Right? So we have financialized the internet and technology to, you know, a large extent. And I'm sure there are economists out there that would jump all over me for saying this, but, you know, should uh, healthcare really be financialized, right? No. Um, should, um, uh, you know, it, our electricity and just things that we need really be something that, uh, you know, are looking at the stock market instead of looking at, so let me just uh, say it this way. Um, people are focused on shareholders and rather than stakeholders. Right. You see? And so that's where the problem starts. And, and you can just look at the housing crisis uh, that happened, you know, several years ago as an example of that way of thinking gone wrong, you know, where people aren't really thinking about, uh, you know, when I do these credit default swaps, down at the bottom of that is somebody losing a house, maybe, right. you know, nobody's thinking about that. Well, you know, um, let, let me just tell you, um, Mr. Weems, it is uh, having writers like you making people aware is what it's going to take. All of us doing our part, because we know that 
the mainstream media and all these other organizations. They're, these are not bad people. All those great people working for MSNBC, even some at Fox News, good reporters, some of them, mm-hmm. uh, they, they are stuck between a wall and a hard place because of who pays them and what they must be paid. So we understand why we must have the journeyman at Medium, why we must have the journeyman at Substack, why we must have you all over, because the work that you do, what you teach folk that they don't know right now is important. So I'm going to ask you two last questions. One, tell me a little bit about what you're writing about going forward. And two, I'm, I usually don't tell, ask the person to tell me this the last, never give them a heads up. I'm going to give you a heads up, man. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? But answer the first one first. What do you so, have going on? So the right first now? one, um, the, the story that I'm working on currently, uh, and this actually might um, be something that gets picked up by one of the, um, you know, a, a mainstream publication. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in uh, North Carolina on a tiny little island. Mm-hmm. And um, when we moved here, of course, I knew I was uh, leaving one of the most diverse places in the world, coming to a place where, um, let's just say, I see more Confederate flags than I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't expect was, uh, was this. My kids, uh, one, one has just finished high school and is now in college. The other one is still in high school. Uh, the county that um, that high school is in is about 13 or 14% black, but somehow their high school is 3% black. So in effect, it may as well be a white school. Right. And so I'm writing about um, uh, sort of the experience of where as parents, we had to pick up the ball and teach our kids. And it kind of uh, in a sense, plays into the discussion around CRT and the 1619 Project in that uh, there's so much knowledge that for me was just things you know that my kids, they weren't even hearing these things. And, right. and then on top of that, uh, you know, missed opportunities. Uh, you know, my daughter was in theater. Uh, there was very little opportunity for her to play certain parts because you know, if it's Romeo and Juliet, she ain't going to be Juliet, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of something that I'm working on now. Hopefully uh, sometime this month, uh, I'll be able to publish it. And what would you have liked me? Your video is kind of frozen now, but oh, it's back. <clears throat> oh, there we what are. We're you, back. Yeah, we're back. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, I would have uh, liked you to ask me about the book that I'm working on. Well, let, let me. <laughs> but you let, wouldn't let have known pause. about that, so that's let not really pause. fair. That's my ignorance. I didn't realize. No, I, I know that was kind of a trick. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, um, something that has been, I guess, sort of a long time coming, and I'm working on a manuscript. I've gotten far enough along with it that I'm. Um, you know, going to start looking for literary agents and, you know, going through that whole process. And it's really, um, you know, there are a lot of books by people that have been on Wall Street, but I think mine will be different because uh, it's not really a rags to, you know, like obscene riches kind of a story, which most of those books are. It's really uh, sort of a cautionary 
tale about, you know, me, a guy from the deep south, getting sucked up into the, you know, that that race, uh, if you will, in the 80s and just, uh, you know, the um, uh, desire for obscene wealth and then ending up on Wall Street and then reevaluating. So uh, that's something that, you know, knock on wood, uh, in the next uh, several months, I'll, I'll be able to, um, you know, to finish up and, and get it out there. Former former full-time capitalist on Wall Street, now the dirty man, <laughs> author of many great articles to inform us all, and soon to be author of a book we'll all want to read. Thank you so kindly, Marlon Weems, for being... Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you for being on Politics and Right. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.